We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A Sunday night recap of the biggest week one storylines. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Europe's Gretsch. You can subscribe to my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his awesome work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we're, we're starting sort of the, the in-season section of Stealing Bananas. We're going to be doing these Sunday night chats, recapping everything that we saw, maybe like the, the biggest things that we noticed from the week. We got on and started talking a little bit before this show started, and we already have some super fun things, I think, to kind of just discuss but more than anything, I mean, how much fun was it to just have football all day? I mean, I, I'm getting like a little sentimental about it. Like it was, it was a fun day just to have NFL football back. It was an absolute blast, and we had uh, you know a whole setup here where we were going to do like the five biggest things, and you had some cool headlines for us. They were all sort of thematically put together. Uh, it was going to be perfect, you know, super professional and and quick and, and hard hitting and then we got talking and we're like let's just talk about the games i mean it, it was too much fun today i think that i've already watched nine games in their entirety i believe you have watched all the games sort of simultaneously as they were on so many amazing things to talk about here ben and but i think before we get into it maybe the first thing is just uh buffalo Pittsburgh, right? And we see the Bills look terrible. Josh Allen looked bad. Uh, Stephon Diggs really having a, a poor game, but putting up points. And so uh, that's one of the things about Diggs, even in a bad game, he's going to score for you. But if this had been the first game of last season, our takeaway would be, okay, Josh Allen still doesn't have the accuracy. Stephon Diggs changing teams, maybe that won't be so good for him. Changing teams can be a bad thing. And yet, we know that the Bills are awesome. We know that they don't have anything to, to worry about. My takeaway would be that, you know, they need to involve Gabriel Davis a little bit more because Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, that is not getting the job done. Uh, it wasn't a great day today for Kirk Cousins or Cole Beasley, so they might have used their uh, time off a little more productively than they did. But, yeah, so we want to keep everything in context, right? Some of the things that we think today are going to turn out to not be true because we more or less believe what happened with the Bills today is not – giving us a lot of information. Uh, the Steelers just played fantastic defense is mostly what happened there. Uh, in so many of the plays, they looked like they had 13 guys on the field. One of the things that I caught there 
and I made a note that's going to be in Stealing Signals, that I think that broadcast notes are very interesting and almost under-discussed. As much weight as we put on, you know, beat reporter observations, which are very important, but a lot of those, and some of those are also the beat reporters talking talking to the team and talking to the players, but a lot of them are just practice observations. We put a lot of weight on those. As much weight as we put on those, the in-game notes, I don't think we put enough weight on, frankly. And I, I know, like, it sounds kind of silly, but, like, the broadcasters have these production meetings every week and they sit down and they talk to the coaches, they talk to the players. They're willing to share a lot of the things that they were actually thinking about that week, what they were doing in preparation, what their plan was, because they know it's not going to be discussed until game day. And then, it's, it, you know, it's all part of the the whole packaging and the system. And then, and then they're able to talk about it a little bit on game day and add some color during the broadcast. But that stuff gives us a little bit of a, of a thought process directly into what the coaches and the players are thinking and what they're saying which I think is like, I don't know, weirdly more valuable than, than it's given credit for. And one of the things that I caught on this broadcast was that they were talking about, they, they talked with Pittsburgh and they felt that they underestimated Stefan Diggs when they played him last year. He was going to be a focal point of their defensive game plan, all of those things. He still winds up with nine catches for 69 yards. He got a deep shot, which I was really happy to see. He, he didn't have a lot of deep uh, reception production last season. And that's something that could actually elevate his stat line even more. The fact that he still catches nine balls for 69 yards, I think, in a game where where the opponent is sort of keying on him, uh, I, I thought was a, actually a really positive sign. Oh, and I meant to say as the, the very biggest takeaway that we should just at the top of the show is that uh, we had the very unfortunate thing happen with the Denver Broncos and Jerry Judy, but you're mentioning the deep target, K.J. Hamler, gets behind the defense and he flat out drops a 50 yard touchdown with no one close to him. Yeah. So we we get our first big KJ Hamler highlight. Not exactly the one that we wanted, but he can get behind the defense. Can we talk about Teddy Bridgewater a little bit on that? Like you can't just put that all on Hamler. He had like five yards of separation and Bridgewater throws it. He's running from right to left. It's back over his left shoulder. He had to spin back, and it's well behind him. The DB is now closing on him. It was right in his bread basket. I see you making the motion. <laughs> he needed to catch it like a punt, right? Just fair yeah. catch for the touchdown. Yeah, he needed a fair catch it like a punt. But, I mean, God, that, that pass should have been five yards left and further out. You know what I mean? That pass had a lot more room to let him run under it and – uh yeah, I still wish you would have caught it, obviously. <laughs> We've been joking, you and I, that we have him in so many leagues. I think you've said that you have him in every single league, maybe. Um, I know we have him in all of our leagues together. You know, KJ Hamler going off would be kind of nice. But the flip side of that, obviously, Jerry Judy getting hurt, very, uh, you know, a huge bummer, obviously. Ryan Fitzpatrick, you and I started in our Superflex Dynasty because I, I messaged you this morning and said, hey, we should get Fitzpatrick in there over Derek Carr, who you had in. Good call. Good call. That worked out good. <laughs> so well, you never want to have Ryan Fitzpatrick on the bench. If you don't get the Fitz magic, it's just it's just bad luck there. So that one was unfortunate. A couple of big injuries for us there. The interesting thing with Judy is that he looked very good, right? And he looked like he was going to be the one guy in this offense who would be a weekly factor. We had talked about how loaded this offense was and that Teddy Bridgewater could be a you know, a very good super flex quarterback. He could be even a decent streamer in one QB leagues. Uh, if he made some mistakes and maybe you've got yourself a Matt Ryan on your hands. Uh, but 
what actually happened today was both better and worse than we could have really prepared for in that Tim Patrick had a lot of snaps, right? A lot of routes. He scores the touchdown, but it wasn't just that. I mean, he was on the field a ton. And so that wasn't great for Hamler. It also is not great for anybody who drafted Cortland Sutton. Now, the Judy injury frees that up a little bit. So now people who drafted Sutton, I think there's a path for them to have that payoff for them, but there really wasn't before. I mean, Sutton didn't didn't do much in this game. And I mean, if anything, I think Tim Patrick was the big bodied receiver who looked dynamic. And if you have any of the Denver Broncos, that's not what you're looking for. You can't afford to have more targets, routes, you know, all those things siphoned off by another guy. The other thing that happened here is that even though Noah Fant looked very good at the beginning of this game, Albert O continues to be, you know, these are two of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL. And so if you're a fan to have Albert behind you is not great. Now he had a big fumble that could have cost them the game if the New York Giants weren't so terrible. But even with that kind of not ending up mattering, then you know he comes and he has the touchdown later, looks good. I think the takeaway from this, we have the garbage time touchdown from Melvin Gordon. You know, we kind of talked on the show that Melvin Gordon's peripherals last year were actually very good, but we didn't expect that to really you know, continue to play out. Javante Williams is the guy you wanted. All of these guys now with how they're splitting the touches in what probably won't be that high volume of an offense. I think there's a lot of room to be disconcerted if you've got these guys and, and need them to play for you. Sure. But I, I mean, I came away a little bit more optimistic, I think. And obviously we don't have all the numbers and everything uh, on a couple, on a couple notes, Javante Williams got, uh, more touches than Melvin Gordon, 15 to 14. More carries, 14 to 11. Obviously, Gordon had the 70-yard TD late. That's going to probably manifest in more touches for Gordon in week two in the short term. The fact that they came out in week one and had Javante Williams and basically a 50-50 split to me is a very positive uh, a very positive note for him in terms of how we know that running, uh, rookie, rookie roles are going to grow throughout the year. And we're sort of hoping that we can get there by week four or week five where we're comfortable starting this guy every week. I think with Javante Williams, that's a really, op, you know, a, a clear goal at this point now. I mean, he got such such a comfortable workload. You might even be comfortable discussing, you know, him in your lineup, depending on, on how's your RB you went or, or what have you next week. Or, you know, maybe you already were starting him. I have no idea because he was obviously uh, somebody you spent some draft capital on. But I, I was – optimistic about his workload i don't think the long gordon run is gonna hold up necessarily you mentioned some of the peripherals but you know it's just one of those things where seeing this as the starting point for that split it's just gonna tilt towards javante going forward yeah and definitely him there and i think that the other encouraging thing is that we got a sense that maybe teddy bridgewater won't hold this offense back now even though they have so many weapons, it will be different without Judy because he was clearly the number one guy. And if the defense doesn't have to account for him, then maybe the rest of those guys can't get open as well as they did today. But but Fant, I mean, even though the numbers don't pop at the end, he was very involved early. He can take those underneath targets and really run with them. At, at certain points in this game, he looked like he was going to be ready for that third-year breakout in the same way that TDJ Hawkinson is definitely there. Yeah, and he led the team with eight targets. Judy was right behind him with seven. Obviously, Judy's now probably going to miss, you know, we don't know, obviously, how much time, but certainly sometime. No one else had more than four. I, I was very bummed about the Tim Patrick rule. That was not something that any of us were looking forward to uh, between Judy Sutton and Hamler and Fant and kind of hoping those four 
and the running backs were, were the, the majority of the offense to see Tim Patrick come out and be pretty involved was, was certainly disheartening. But there's, I think, optimism in, in the fan usage and the targets and, and the idea that Bridgewater was going to be good for Judy and Fant, particularly in this intermediate range. Bridgewater made other bad throws down the field. I mean, he underthrew a couple other ones that were, I mean, he just looked like the exact same that I've kind of always said he was. There's a lot of stuff I saw today that I was like, I was wrong about this, but Bridgewater was not one. I was like, yep, that's Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> that's that's how he throws down the field. He's also very accurate and keeps him on schedule underneath. He's not bad. He's just not great for fantasy football necessarily. He's not all that exciting for the downfield passing and those types of things. Well, what about the team that he left? And we know that you are obsessed with the Carolina Panthers because DJ Moore is your favorite player. Moore made some circus catches today, looked very good, had usage all over the field. His final line doesn't really jump out, but Robbie Anderson, despite the long touchdown, not quite as involved today. Terrace Marshall, fine, but didn't jump out. Christian McCaffrey, I mean, talk about what he did without scoring a touchdown when he gets those touchdowns in there. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, it's almost like we should have played fantasy football this year with Christian McCaffrey not being eligible. Yeah, it's really just unfair. And it's funny because we chased one-on-one in so many leagues. I mean, I I feel like I have no chance without Christian McCaffrey on any teams right now. But anyway, what you were saying. No, more look good. Right. Sam Darnold, what are your thoughts seeing him today? Obviously, his fantasy performance was a little better because he has that fluke touchdown run. Probably won't have too many of those. Uh, We kind of saw some of the same types of things from him where he made some very good throws and then some head scratching throws, some concerns about accuracy on some of them. But it looks like within this Panthers offense that has a lot of talent and is probably going to have very good play calling that he could emerge as at least a solid starter. Now we did see some rookies look very good today to where, you know, if, if you were a team that went with a Bridgewater, that went with a Darnold, uh, you know, you might be second guessing that a little bit. Zach Wilson looked great. He obviously wasn't available. Mac Jones looked great. He actually was hurt by teammate turnovers. I think, you know, going after Mac Jones would have made more sense, but do you like Darnold now either, you know, in his own right, or do you think that he can support that breakout, that Stefan Diggs-like jump that we're looking at for DJ Moore? I mean, again, we saw a ton of guys score touchdowns today. A lot of guys who aren't anywhere close to as good as DJ Moore. He doesn't score again. He's going to have to score some touchdowns at some point to be what we want. But I thought today was pretty encouraging. I thought today was very encouraging. Yeah, the the Darnold question was a little hit or miss for me. I I, I was, I, I would say, not impressed, but... I thought he was good enough, sort of sort of like the Bridgewater thing. I mean, obviously, you're playing the Jets as well. Moore catches six of eight targets. The two missed targets, if I'm not mistaken, because I have a note for signals that, you know, he could have had a better day. He had one pretty bad drop in his own right, which was frustrating. Could have been about a 15-yard gain. And then he ran about a 15-yard out route where he had plenty of separation, was wide open, and Donald just missed him. And so it's like, okay, you know, one's on him, one's on the quarterback. That's a little frustrating. At the same time, he still winds up with pretty good efficiency. Six six catches on eight targets is obviously not not something bad, but that also speaks to the the fact that like I, you know this is an efficient player generally. Yeah, no, he looked very good. I, I was very impressed. McCaffrey, I, I didn't expect necessarily to play as much as he did. I wouldn't say I'd, I'm at all surprised by it either, but I just thought maybe they would ease him in a little. Didn't use him in the preseason. Uh, we saw a little bit of Hubbard, a couple catches, no no rush attempts at all. 
But yeah, no, DJ Moore's workload, I was very enthused by. He got a rush attempt. He got a jet motion tip pass that was actually stopped by the line of scrimmage. That's the stuff that I was looking for. More plays around the line of scrimmage, more plays utilizing his yak ability. And then he also was still running some downfield routes and making some plays down the field, had a 27-yard catch. I'm very excited about my, my DJ Moore exposure. And, and again, to your point about Robbie Anderson, only three targets today. Anderson looked like he was kind of the odd man out a little bit, which with McCaffrey back, which is uh, you know maybe a little surprising, but also not really. If Moore's going to be back in more of a natural position, I think he's more the clear number one. But uh, I, I do think Anderson will have some solid games. But you got to think that you know Moore is going to be more of the the clear sort of alpha receiver alongside a kind of an alpha pass catching running back. What you know, however you want to use that term. And then Marshall and Anderson to me are kind of almost equivalent, or at least from what I saw today and what I what I thought of their roles. Well, Anderson had so many schemed underneath targets last year, which was a little bit odd because he's such a good vertical receiver. He is not super heavy, not necessarily the kind of guy that you want to take that beating underneath. And so I, it makes sense that he would lose those targets back to McCaffrey, who, I mean – we know how good Christian McCaffrey is and yet you still watch that game and you're blown away by his ability to separate when he cuts, he's suddenly three yards away from whoever was trying to cover it him. It seems like it's the same route every time and no one can guard it. <laughs> like, well, you know what I mean? It's crazy. I mean, the quickness level is just, it's insane. It's like with nothing we've seen since Barry Sanders and his ability to separate on that. When the Panthers offense was dynamic today was when they were using him in the passing game. They need to do that more, right? It just, some of the things that they did didn't make sense. One of the things I think that will help DJ more is that not every week, like you said, it'll be against the Jets. They're going to play some teams where they get into a little bit more of a race and you have to go after it. The Jets were pretty ineffective until the garbage time drive at the end. In a shootout, I think Moore does a lot more of the kinds of things that we're looking for. Robbie Anderson, excellent on that deep target, getting the vertical 57-yard touchdown. That's what they're going to need from him but probably not going to have the volume. So we talk about the Jets a little bit and just uh, quickly on them because they have Zach Wilson and he had an up and down performance. But one of the things that I liked here, even during the early stretch where his completion percentage was extremely low, he showed off the arm talent that got him drafted number two a couple times where he's like rolling out and unleashes the 60-yard bomb that, Mm -hmm. I mean... To Elijah one time early. Yeah, yeah he had the, yeah. the deep shot to Elijah. I was like, all right, great. Elijah's not going to be treated like Jameson Crowder. He's out there running deep on a on a scramble drill. Oh, yeah. And so we saw the couple touchdowns from Corey Davis. You like to see those. We talked about Davis having the potential, you know, fifth-year breakout. At the same time, the electricity that we kind of expected from him when he was drafted in the top 10 all those years ago was, again, missing. I mean, he had a couple chances to make plays on the ball kind of in the middle of the game, didn't do that, really sort of wide open, broken coverages on the touchdowns. I think if you have a chance to sell him this week, that's probably what you want to do. Yeah. Because Elijah Moore looked, I mean, he looked unbelievably fast, right? I mean, so the, the two people who jumped out to me today athletically, even though they didn't have good numbers, were those guys we've talked about all offseason, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore. I mean, they they were so explosive, it was almost impossible to fathom, right? I and mean, they looked that good probably some weeks away from real fantasy production, but if you've got them in dynasty, you've got to be really excited. That's, and that's the, and that's the issue for Davis is that, you know, he's especially Elijah is going to come for him a little bit. I, I, I make these sort of casual notes to myself about what I'm going to write in stealing signals. Corey Davis, my note is Corey Davis is going to be good. 
but probably not bury me. And I'm not concerned. I have none to be honest. <laughs> that was my little note to myself. I didn't draft him. I, you know, and on our, our show about stuff we might be wrong about. I mentioned that that, that was something that, or we, we threw it onto one of our, our last shows. I mentioned Corey Davis was one that I was worried about because of this massive target per out run right in the preseason. At the same time, uh, yeah, I felt the same way watching him. It's funny uh, reviewing notes with you because we let's let's we're jumping around game to game. Let's do a couple of the big picture things because before we started recording, you made another note to me that I completely agreed with, which was we went late round QB in a lot of leagues. That looks like that maybe wasn't the right decision because these these top QBs were fantastic. I mean, Dak was great on Thursday night, but Kyler looked amazing again. Josh Allen didn't look necessarily amazing. Maybe there's some of this regression, yada, yada. Pittsburgh has a good defense. They did come out throwing a ton. They had like 16 pass attempts, and I don't know, I have to recheck my notes, but a couple of, I think it was like four running back rush attempts at one point in the first half. Their early script was very, very pass heavy, like we've come to expect. I think there's plenty of room for Allen to have another great year as well. Uh, we still have to see Lamar, but Patrick Mahomes looked incredible as well. I mean, th- these top quarterbacks, Russell Wilson looked great. I mean, they, they look fantastic. I There's a couple leagues where I certainly paid the price and have those guys, and those are the leagues where I feel best about my teams. And, and the other ones, I'm like, man, I wish I would have gotten a little bit more of these really good dual-threat quarterbacks that we – we did say, like, look, you can pay up for quarterbacks now. It's worth doing because these guys are special. Yeah, and it really comes down to a, sort of a particular group of players that we bet on late and how they develop or don't develop. And that's going to determine a lot for us. Now, we do have Murray on some teams. We have him on our ship chasing team, and that team has a lot of really interesting players. I'm excited to see how that team kind of develops as we go along. Uh we had talked and we were able to trade for Murray in our Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty League team. I'm really excited about that. He just looks like he's going to be extraordinary. I thought that the two top QBs in Dynasty and in Redraft, potentially then with Mahomes, but Mahomes, it's a little bit tricky because he has to be so good in order to create that value. Now, he was today. I think if anybody can do it, it's him. I mean, it really is extraordinary what he can do. But Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, I mean, they're so well set up to have monster, monster seasons, to have Murray in there. Very exciting. And maybe the most like kind of out of nowhere performance today came from Christian Kirk, right? And so we're kind of looking at some of these other guys, AJ Green being drafted in some leagues late. The contrast between those two players was really striking. I got in my notes here. I think it's 526 in the in the second period. If anybody hasn't watched it, kind of wants to see it. There was the, the funniest play I've seen in a long, long time where they're going to run a wide receiver screen. Christian Kirk, AJ Green, they run this play. They run into each other, fall down, get up and look at each other like, you know, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> Christian Kirk just seems so baffled. So Kirk looked great today. Ben, we were talking before the show. It doesn't seem possible, but A.J. Green looked worse than yeah. he looked last year with the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, my note on A.J. Green was A.J. Green ends on target, and he sucks. And then the next note was Hopkins TD right after that, and he's good. Yeah, I, they, they threw to him in the end zone. He sort of fell away from the ball. He kind of had inside position. It's like, are you even an NFL receiver? I mean, it was uh, – almost created an interception just by basically not trying to even play the football at all. I, it was, it was a bizarre play. There's then there's no other receiver in the NFL right now. Who's that slow and makes that little effort when the ball is. Yes. 
yeah, the effort thing is such a huge thing. I mean, we can get, put on our film grinder hats and all of that, but like being willing to actually go get the ball is a thing. AJ Green doesn't do it. He didn't do it last year. He's done. Like he is dusted. He's over. I'm sorry. I mean, I loved AJ Green in his prime, but like that was it was brutal. It was hard to watch today. And then to your point, Christian Kirk looked fantastic. We saw a little bit from Rondell Moore. Hopefully that grows. You know, it was a little bit frustrating for me with Christian Kirk because I have been really waiting on him for a few years, drafting him heavily. I continued to buy back in last year. I resisted this year. I thought Rondell Moore would, would take over and that Christian Kirk breakout was not going to come this so year. So you're making him your number one waiver pickup? I mean, he's got he looked good. I thought he had a phenomenal prospect profile. I really liked that he had, added the, uh, the return yardage and I actually liked him quite a bit as a rookie. Second year, he gets injured a little bit. I think, you know, coming back last year, he has a chance to sort of bounce back. He was playing through an ankle injury some in the second year. The efficiency was down, but, yeah, he was hurt. Last year was just so depressing. I, I was not on him at all. But I think he's in a – he's a, he's. I don't know if I'm making my number one by any means. We, we should talk about Elijah Mitchell for sure. But Kirk is a guy that – yeah, I guess I until you said that I hadn't even really considered that I can probably still add him and, and, and still be overweight on Christian Kirk for another year. Yeah, I, I was stunned by how bad he was last season. I thought he was going to be a great value, and not only was he not a great value, he was absolutely worthless. I still have quite a bit in Dynasty, so it's fun to see him, you know, have that bounce back slash breakout. We'll see if it can go. I mean, it looks like DeAndre Hopkins. One of the things that we talk about in I feel like we really saw this with the Atlanta Falcons is that if you go through and you do your projections based on how you think that the target volume is going to break down and you're worried about people siphoning off these targets, the touches, the opportunities, and don't consider how they could improve the team and open things up, then you're going to miss out on something. So you look at it today, DeAndre Hopkins with Rondell Moore out there as a little bit of a threat with AJ Green and Christian Kirk, even with Green being terrible, the fact that the, the Kyler Murray seemed more dynamic. The defense seemed more spread. There's less of a thing of let's triple team DeAndre Hopkins on every play. And you look at him and he looked just otherworldly. You contrast that with Calvin Ridley and the Falcons have a whole bunch of problems. But one of them is that they don't have anybody to really take any coverage from him at this point. Kyle Pitts he's going to be good, but you watch what the receivers did. And you think about the fact that Pitts is basically just a big receiver and it already makes what the Falcons have done here structurally look pretty questionable. I mean, if you just wanted a receiver, then Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith, those guys all looked very, very good in their debuts. Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You noted before we jumped on that this was a pretty interesting game. I, I have to cop to not having watched the Eagles Falcons game particularly closely. I don't have a ton of exposure on either side, really. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. And and as I was just you know trying to watch nine games at once, I, I you watch them individually. I watch all of the games at the same time, which is a, a skill honed over many years. <laughs> but it is uh, very challenging as well. And so there's inevitably, especially when there's the nine game windows and, and gosh, sometimes, you know, we've, we've had 10 before it becomes inevitably very difficult to watch all the games at one time. That, that was a game I missed a little, but I thought you had some really interesting takes on the coaching. You, you were impressed by Nick Sirianni. I was. And one of the things that we talked about was, is this going to be an offense with the Eagles where he forces Jalen Hurts to run what he ran in Indianapolis? Or is he going to let Hurts do the things that he does well? And what we saw in week one is it's going to be both, right? It's going to be this offense that created value for the running backs in Indianapolis. Miles Sanders, even with the things that Miles Sanders has struggled with at different times. And he's one of these high yards per carry guys because he's electric. He can create the big plays. We saw that all day today. Kenny Gainwell in there catching passes. He also looked fantastic. This is an offense that's going to create fantasy points for both guys, which is relevant because we saw a lot of offenses today that aren't going to create any running back value at all, right? So if you have both of these guys in here, Kenny Gainwell has a long touchdown, um, a play after Miles Sanders has a long catch, right? So it's not even something where they were necessarily trying to get a touchdown to Gainwell, but it's just kind of moving these guys around as they both create big plays. Gainwell actually had a touchdown called back 
I mean, he could have had a two touchdown game. So Gainwell, somebody who's kind of interesting for zero RB. His role was fantastic. The, the Boston Scott buzz, Boston Scott didn't get a touch today. I mean, get, yeah. Gainwell had 11, 11 touches today. I mean, he was the 1A, 1B, right? Yeah, and Boston Scott was getting some pub sort of early on in training camp, but then it seemed like the beat riders really had swapped to Gainwell being someone who looked like the best running back on the team in the last couple of weeks, which is one of the reasons why we added him to the zero RB watch list there. I'm pretty excited about that. You know, you'd always even like more exposure with how good they looked, but he looked good there. You contrast what they did to what the Atlanta Falcons did. And it was night and day. You mentioned the broadcast notes. The last thing that you want to hear when you've got some Calvin Ridley, maybe you have some Mike Davis, you know, maybe you have Kyle Pitts, right? I mean, you and I, we had Hawkinson above Pitts through one game that looks great, far too early to be saying, oh, we were right about this, but it, it was a struggle. I mean, they tried to scheme some touches to Pitts early and it just wasn't there. But if you have either one of these pass catchers, you've got to be demoralized by the play calling. So they're down late in the second half and at the time that the Falcons are trailing 22 to six, their first possession after that first and 10 run, they get a first down on something weird first and 10 run. And the commentators are saying Arthur Smith has told them that he thinks people get away from the run too early, too fast. And, and you're sitting there watching the game thing. You're getting blown out, right? You have limited possessions left in the game. There's a difference between, establishing the run or sticking with the run when you have Derrick Henry, which we also saw that not work today, right? But if you have Derrick Henry, there's at least a chance. If you have Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson, and just for anybody who didn't get a chance to watch the game and is thinking maybe Patterson was involved in garbage time, Patterson was involved right from the get-go. Oh, yeah. Got an I-form carry in the I-formation rush attempt right up the gut in the first quarter, which I wrote down because it was so shocking. I mean, what? <laughs> why, is, why is Cordero Patterson getting first quarter – fullback I form like what what year are we in and why is the Cordero Patterson getting that carry and Ben I don't know if you notice this but twice in the first half they ran the ball on third and long third and eight third and nine rush attempts I miss those Jeez. right I mean you have a, a weak defense and you have Matt Ryan and, and Calvin Ridley you're basically just telling those guys that they're not going to factor into the season that you don't believe in them. they're not good enough and maybe Matt Ryan's not good enough he did not look good today Right. But there was a lot of everything that the Falcons did was non-competitive. I don't think that you can come out in your first game as a head coach and just not compete. And that's what the head coach did. Not that not necessarily the players, but the head coach. And you contrast that. And we joked about the Lions and Dan Campbell and you know the biting the kneecaps and all that. And we said, well, what are TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift going to be like? In terms of some of the drafts that we did, we had uh, co-managers who were like, we don't want lions. We don't want lions. We don't want lions. And I understand that, right? Because if you told me now that you didn't want anybody on the Atlanta Falcons, I would say I don't either. Right. Yeah. But what we saw today from the lions was very different. You know, they got blown out more or less. I mean, they have the onside kick recovery, which makes that game look closer, but despite having Jerry Goff and no wide receivers, they went after it the whole way right till the end. And the Atlanta Falcons didn't do that. And so that, I mean, that's a big concern for me as the lions ran 84 plays today they they got that that i mean a, a note that i'm going to bring up in signals they uh a great example of how game situation can really impact the final stats they got the onside kick they got the debo samuel fumble and converted a couple first downs after that they got these extra possessions part of it is 
you have to get, uh, you know, the takeaways or the onside kicks or whatever to get the ball back in the fourth quarter in these games where you're trailing. The other part of it is you then have to convert. They converted. They were actually successful. I, I think back to a, a Houston Texans game several years ago uh, to Sean Watson where they ran just an absurd amount of plays. I can't remember even who they were playing, but they scored like 21, 28 points in the fourth quarter. Just an insane amount of plays in the fourth quarter just because of the way that the game flowed. Uh, I think it was against the Alex Smith Chiefs, if I'm not mistaken. But um, it was like quick possessions and getting the ball back in their hands. And they had they were playing so fast. They got so much volume late. And it was one that skewed stuff for that whole season for whatever reason. Anyway, I don't know why that's popping into my head. But the Lions run 84 plays today. That is a note that, like, that's going to be noise this week, right? Like, that's something that they're not going to run 84 plays every week. Everything they did in the fourth quarter is pretty noisy. The fact that they recovered an onside kick, if – if uh, San Francisco just recovers that, this game's probably over and, and Detroit probably runs. I don't know how many plays they ran after that, but probably 16, 15, 16 fewer plays, I would guess. At the same time, to your point, when they got those opportunities, they continued to actually move the ball and produce. And so, like, if they're an offense that's willing to be a little bit aggressive when they fall behind, I, I think you make a great point. I mean, this is like a really great dichotomy you're drawing about, like, we don't know what's going to happen going into the season. Everyone wanted to be off the Lions. We wanted to be on Atlanta because they've been so pass-heavy for so many years, and Arthur Smith looked great in Tennessee, and that's going to be a fun offense. The problem is we don't know these things, and now Detroit actually looks like an offense that it looked actually the most like the offense that I thought it might be of almost any team in the league, not not from a pace perspective, but one of the big points I've made in, in, in my projections and in our offseason is they don't have receivers. This team's going to throw to their running backs and tight ends at a higher rate than any team in the league, and in my projections, I projected their receivers for fewer than 50% of the total targets, which I almost never do for a receiver group. It was all going to be receiver and tight end, excuse me, running back and tight end targets. That's what we saw. A lot of DeAndre Swift, a lot of TJ Hawkinson. The way that they played fit sort of what we thought. And now this offense actually looks like one that I'm glad that, that you and I were targeting. And, and you really had me on Hawkinson and Swift. You wanted to do the two of them in one league together, but we didn't get the chance to get them both. But that, I mean, I wish we had that. I wish we had them stacked together. And you mentioned the total number of plays. And again, for anybody who didn't get a chance to see the game, one of the fun things and encouraging things going forward is the Swift Hawkinson. They actually did most of their damage during the regular part of the game. And so you, you don't necessarily need to have that garbage time to feel comfortable about what they did. But again, the fact that the Lions attacked, very fun. Also, just in terms of some of the playmaking, right? The long touchdown from Swift, you can see just how dynamic he is. TJ Hawkinson, despite being the focal point of the defense, I mean, he looks like George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. If anything, he looks more like George Kittle. I mean, he, the athleticism showing there is it, just phenomenal. And so uh, Kittle made some nice plays. One of the reasons why we didn't target him is just it looks like it's going to be tricky. Now, Debo Samuel had this huge game. Fortunately, we had him in, in a draft that we did at the very end of the offseason, but that's probably not going to happen too many more times. Ayuk, obviously, not nearly 100%. Uh, he wasn't even factoring in ahead of guys like Sherfield. And so we know. Did you see the comments after that game? They said, right, that that Ayuk, because of the hamstring, wasn't was limited snap wise. Is that what you're. Yeah, it was sort of like further down the receiver list, but that's how I understood it as well, is how you're saying it. I, I saw some tweets and some reactions that sort of implied that Ayuk had like lost his spot or something. The way I was reading it is how you're saying it was like, because he wasn't healthy and he hasn't gotten the reps, he's further down the list. But when he's healthy, he's going to be, you know, playing clearly. Yeah. Well, before he got hurt, they were talking about him as being 
the best receiver they've seen there in a long, long time. And so I, you know, if you, if you unfortunately started him and I think I've started him in a league this week, then I mean, that's something of a dagger for week one. I wouldn't be overly concerned there, except for the fact that they're not going to score that many points through the air every week. It is going to be Trey Lance at some point. I, I just, I would be concerned still about these three guys, but at this point, I mean, Samuel was the person we were targeting because if you have three good players and you're worried about the overall volume, you, you've got to take the cheapest guy. That's worked out through one week. But you had to be really encouraged. I, I you, you sound a little skeptical about Debo. You had to be really encouraged about the downfield targets. I mean, I understand when Ayuk's there, they might not be there as much, but he also got the jet motion tip passes, the free receptions that we talked about a lot, and he got some air yards. He got some downfield plays. I was very, very encouraged by his overall workload in the sense that, like, I, I he's been very efficient with the, you know, the, just the tip passes and creating yards after the quotes, air quotes, catch, even though it's basically a handoff. He turns those into explosive plays sometimes. And then he's also catching passes down the field. He could have a, I mean, I, I totally understand your point and agree with it. There's not necessarily enough targets to go around, but he could have a pretty solid season if they continue to throw the ball to him down the field. He looked good down the field. I mean, he, he's a fantastic player, right? And so last season, if he had been healthy, I mean, he should have been like a third round pick, right? Because you're not expecting Ayuk to come in and do all of that right away. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the full year starter. I mean, he would have been a star. We, we've kind of moved away from that, unfortunately, because the offense is going to be a little bit different and they do have a lot of guys. But I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we have him on some teams because yeah, for sure. he, he does look good. He's going to be, and I think that he'll be the easiest guy out of the trio for Lance to use you know, once we get to that point. And I, I think that that point, you know, will come at some time in the season. So I'm excited for him there. Then we should also talk about a team where I don't think that we're wrong, but if, if there's one team today that was both extremely exciting and extremely concerning, it was our Cincinnati Bengals, right? One of the reasons why we did pass on some of the expensive quarterbacks is we wanted Joe Burrow late. We'd love T Higgins. Uh, somewhat strangely, we actually have a ton of Jamar Chase because of where we were drafting well, so often and, and what the and, and late in draft season he started falling two rounds because people thought he couldn't catch the NFL football. That's it's not that strange. Is is price suddenly just cratered? Yeah. And so uh, kind of fortunately for us, at least today, I mean Tyler Boyd, you know, he's he's kind of the poster boy for Rotobiz OT. Uh, listeners of both shows know how much the column and I love him. He was not as involved today. T. Higgins looked fantastic if he had been able to keep his balance would have scored probably a second touchdown and, and kept joe mixon from scoring a touchdown which would have been nice uh, jamar chase open pretty much throughout the concern here is that burrow was limping at different times in the game and so that's a very clear reminder that he's not necessarily 100 percent. we were kind of hoping that the Bengals, with as much receiving firepower as they have and with as good as burrow looked before he got hurt last year that they would be a team a little bit more like the Buccaneers would go out there a little bit like the Dallas Cowboys in that first game and create a lot of wide receiver value. Now, I mean, Higgins and, and Chase came through, Burrow, a solid performance from a fantasy perspective, a solid performance from a reality perspective, but especially when he seemed to get shaken up a little bit in the middle of the third quarter. I mean, they started out very conservatively and then they got very conservative again at the end. And this is going to just kind of be biased that I bring in. So I'm not expecting listeners to take this that this i can't even say it i'm so biased i don't expect listeners to take this that seriously but joe mixon i think he had 27 carries and he looked bad 
right? Now he had a great <laughs> fantasy game. If you drafted him, you're excited about his role in this offense. But then they went forward on fourth and one early in the game and he tackled himself, right? And so they lose a possession there. <laughs> you don't want this offense to be based around Joe Mixon when you've got Burrow and these receivers. They should have lost the game, right? There was a, uh, a very borderline fumble for Dalvin Cook where the Vikings would have won. They had the game under control and blew it because they went into a shell. Uh, neither team deserved to win this game. The Vikings looked terrible in so many ways. Kirk Cousins had Justin Jefferson wide open throughout, and it was almost like they were playing a game where he's like, all right, Justin, I'm going to see what you can catch. I'm going to see just how difficult I can make right. it, throw it just out of reach to you. Um, but where are we with the Bengals with this game, with how run heavy they were? I thought the conservative start was understandable because of Burrow. And I actually would have expected it. I was very surprised by how aggressive Dallas came out, but it kind of makes some sense. They were, you know, in Tampa Bay facing the defending champs. They felt like they needed to, uh, but I expected both Dak and Burrow to be kind of taken, you know, brought along a little bit slowly in the early going coming off the injuries that they had last year. It was interesting to your point that they kind of bottled up a little bit late. I don't know. I, I'm still optimistic. I thought Zach Taylor did some some interesting things last year. I think that things are going to get better for the Bengals as we go, as Burrow feels a little bit more comfortable, et cetera. Uh, they got a win today, especially if they start you know, winning some games or, or being competitive. I think that's going to force them to try to play more optimally. I, and he made some nice throws. Yeah, he did. He looked good. I, I I tend to think Taylor kind of knows what he's doing a, a little bit. I mean, I, we don't know yet, basically. Um, he only got a few games with Burrow last year and then had to play a backup quarterback, or, you know, coach with a backup quarterback for most of last season. But I'm a little bit optimistic about what I've seen from him so far. Uh, speaking of close calls, though, one, one note in this game, Justin Jefferson definitely scored a touchdown. And then they challenged it, and he definitely scored, and they showed the replay, and he was definitely in, and then they – didn't overturn it, and Dalvin Cook got the one-yard TD run. So, that you know, to, to your T. Higgins, uh, Joe Mixon point, that's the one that frustrated me. I I feel very confident that Justin Jefferson was in the end zone on that one. I don't know. Well, I mean, it, it was weird, right? Because you can kind of talk a little bit about the commentators, and they're put in a tricky situation. I mean, they're not trying to make the officials look bad. They said maybe there's not enough to overturn it. It, it was a game of difficult replays there because Joe Mixon did not get in on his touchdown, but not only did they give it to him, but they didn't review it then. They decided it wasn't close enough somehow to review it. And then Jefferson was very clearly in, like you said. I mean, you can see daylight <laughs> above his shin the whole time. The whole time. I mean, he, he was signaling touchdown the whole way. I mean, he knew he was in. He doesn't touch until his butt touches. And then like right after that, he he touches the ground with the ball and he's like a full yard in the end zone. It was very clear that he had crossed the plane when his butt finally touched. I mean, it was just like, I flipped away from that game and went to another game. And I mean, I have all the games up and I flipped the, the sound over and I was like, okay, that's going to get overturned. And then I saw like, literally like 10 minutes later, I, I, like a bunch of time passed. Calvin Cook got that touchdown. What the hell? Like there's, how, they didn't, they didn't let that stand. Yeah. I mean, they didn't well, overturn that. They let it stand. Like what? It was bizarre. And then it almost created a situation later where because of that, they couldn't overturn the Dalvin Cook fumble, which that one, I think it was too close to call, right? Because you can't ever tell if the ball is getting pulled out or not when his butt is on the ground there at the end. But that was the game, right? And uh, we should mention Cook 
quickly. He looked good in this game. You watch him and it's like he and McCaffrey are so far and above everybody else, except for maybe Nick Chubb that uh, it's, it's so fun to watch. We know we, we talked a lot about how his profile had a lot of red flags. We weren't comfortable taking him necessarily two, necessarily three. He got some receptions in this game, which I thought were pretty encouraging. The Vikings played horrible football, but they did create a lot of fantasy value. And I just, I have a, a sleepers list here. I did want to mention if people are in super deep leagues, KJ Osborne played a big role today. It wasn't just when they were trying to catch up. He made a couple catches yep. early. He was involved in this game throughout. I, we're not on Adam Thielen, so it doesn't really make sense to say, okay, sell these people we weren't drafting in the first place. But I do think that there's a little bit of a concern there that they do have a third target who's actually pretty decent. And so that may you know, factor into how you see the likely total number of touches or total number of targets for Jefferson and Thielen going forward. Osborne, somebody, if you play in very deep leagues, you might add to the end of your dynasty bench. Yeah, I agree with that. Thielen, two more touchdowns, massive touchdown rates the last couple of years. Just continues into week one. It's very nice for the people who drafted him to be able to say, see, this is what we what we told you. And then, you know, I, I'm always in these positions when I'm writing some signals at this point that I say, basically, well, the way that I'm playing it is I still don't buy this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I still don't buy that. I don't think it's going to score two touchdowns a week or even one touchdown a week. I don't buy that he's going to be their leading receiver either over Justin Jefferson, who, like you said, was wide open several times and Cousins just missed him multiple times. It was uh, kind of brutal. You know, good game for Adam Thielen. And, like, he's a good football player, but you're talking about a an older receiver. Some of these guys, these like, this is – it sounds bitter. You're making this point with Mixon. It sounds like we're just sort of, you know, confirmation biasing it or whatever – looking at things through rose-colored glasses. Obviously, Justin Jefferson was not as productive as Adam Thielen in this game. A lot of these older guys that are productive right away, to me, like when when you're saying it it sounds weird telling telling people to sell that we didn't didn't draft them anyway, but like this is the sort of the issue when, when we draft a lot of youth. Like this is what we expect. This is what we talk about. We talk about how the young players, their roles grow throughout the season. And this happens every year. And there's the victory laps in September every year. And so it's, it is a, in some respects, like we're being the stubborn ones, but also in other respects, like no one comes back in November and acknowledges that the guys that you were victory lapping in September didn't actually continue to produce and maybe feeling will, but like a lot of these old dudes that were good this, this week, this is when they're going to look their best. They're fresh. They were taken carefully through the preseason. Their bodies are going to now get beat up every single week for four months. And come back and talk to me in December is basically the point that I that I would make. And and the rookies and the young players, they continue to grow and get better. We see it every single season. The trends are there. They're very evident. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, I was frustrated by the Bengals today, but our decision to draft Burrow everywhere was based on the idea that we thought over the second half of the season, he would be pretty dynamic. I'm not rooting against uh, Adam Thielen at all. He's a great story. Yeah. I think what he's done is fantastic. And I, so, I mean, I've loved watching him his whole career. He's fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a pretty different situation than AJ Green, for example. Someone else who struggled as a veteran player today, Julio Jones, didn't fit in as seamlessly there with the Titans as you might have hoped. AJ Brown had a solid game despite a horrible situation for the overall offense. I think that's pretty encouraging for him when you consider kind of as he's still trying to come back from the knees. And you look at Henry in the offense today, you look at Julio in the offense today, you think about kind of more a normal game for them. And then think about what Brown did. He's going to be huge. But I wanted to 
ask you, I know that one of the things that really bothers us is if the coaches don't show the guts to go after it, they don't show the confidence in their team. I mentioned that the Falcons were the biggest culprit today from that perspective. But I did want to ask you about this sort of contrast between the Browns and my Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes looked extraordinary. Tyreek Hill, we've got a ton of him because he was there where we're drafting. I'm very excited about that. The Chiefs come back and win. But Browns fans, I think, should actually still be very excited. Chiefs fans should be a little bit concerned. The thing that jumped out to me, the first three drives of the game, right? You have the Browns go for it twice on fourth down and score two touchdowns. The Chiefs, in a very obvious go-for-it situation, decide to kick the field goal. If Nick Chubb doesn't have the kind of unlucky fumble, the Browns win that game because their coach had the guts to play to win, whereas Andy Reid, I mean, he struggled today from a game management perspective. Agreed completely. A couple notes on this. Baker Mayfield, I was super excited about uh, once I saw how aggressive they were playing because we had talked all offseason about how much they threw late in the year. It was mildly disappointing to see them run for four touchdowns. That kind of carrying over a little bit from last year. And I think it's sort of just sort of, you know, their identity inside the 10, they're going to just pound it in. And so that's tough for Mayfield to, to throw enough TDs for a guy who doesn't scramble or, you know, rack up tons of rushing yardage. He's probably not going to be a late round quarterback that matters in, you know, based on what I saw. It was interesting without Odo Beckham to see Don, Donovan Peoples-Jones out there a lot. I haven't seen the routes or anything, but the way that I, was sort of seeing it was that it felt like he was playing the Odo Beckham role. And then Anthony Schwartz was playing the Donovan Peoples Jones occasional deep threat role. But that meant that Schwartz actually got all the air yards and all the deep targets and actually had a decent little game. If, it, if anyone's stashing Donovan Peoples Jones, I think that's tough if the rookie Schwartz is, is actually, you know, playing in, in that role as well. And just looked a lot better, right? I mean, he's yeah, getting he looked open good. at will. You talk about someone with world-class speed and, you know, Schwartz, Again, this idea of when were the people involved in the game? Schwartz was involved from the very beginning. He had two early targets. They scheme the handoff for him. Uh, he had not exactly a drop. Thornhill made an incredible play late when Schwartz was going to keep a drive going. Uh, he was open all over the field and was targeted a bunch. He's someone else who is a really interesting stash, especially in Dynasty. If Beckham is able to get back there and play, it's kind of tricky to think that he would have a big season this season, especially because they did target both Hooper and Njoku a decent amount. Landry looked very good, both as a rusher and as a receiver. So the volume, it's, it's kind of hard to see there. But when we look at people who have special traits, Schwartz with the 4-2 speed, when you see that in his NFL debut, that's very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly, you know, sort of what was my takeaway and my point there that Schwartz looked I'm glad I have him in a couple of dynasty rosters immediately. Yeah, it was interesting. It looks like Harrison Bryant had a couple targets. Hooper had three, and Joku tied for the team lead with five. Browns definitely spread the ball around, and that's something that we've seen from them at times over the last couple of years, these sort of unconcentrated target trees, which, again, could be another issue for OBJ when he comes back to your point. We we got to talk about the surprise inactives. We, we maybe should have talked about it from the top, but – Zach Moss, I read that as the Bills basically saying in this matchup, we don't want to run against the Pittsburgh front. It, like almost like they, they, you know, they treat the running back position like it doesn't matter. You know, maybe Moss wasn't fully healthy. Maybe, maybe you think Matt Breida was better. And then obviously we had Trey Sermon inactive as well. And, and the comments from Kyle Shanahan that Elijah Mitchell and 
Jermichael Hasty were just ahead of him. And Elijah Mitchell looked great. Mostert goes down. Sermon's probably going to play now next week. People are talking about Sermon being the most dropped player this week. I don't think that's going to happen. You shouldn't be dropping him at all. He's probably going to get an opportunity if Mostert's out. But Elijah Mitchell certainly is somebody that we should be adding. Uh, but the Moss, the Moss one to me was like I, I kind of read that as like the the Bills were telegraphing that they were planning to be very pass heavy and they just sort of don't care about the running back position. That's not a position that they needed depth at, and they were more comfortable with Breida instead of Moss. Uh, what what were like? I, I don't think that means that Moss is like completely out of the equation. I I think there's going to be games where he's active and then he plays a decent amount. Was sort of the way I was thinking through it. But what were your thoughts on those two kind of pretty surprising actives? Well, it seemed like some of these kind of big backs who maybe are not the most dynamic player on, on special teams, that if they, like you mentioned, were not going to actually be in the game plan, then it didn't make sense for them to be active. Also, in both situations, it seemed like a clear shot from the head coach to the back to say, look, you know, if you want to be the guy that you think you are, then you're going to have to show it. Right. So Moss has had some injury types of things. And I think that factors in. I do think that Devin Singletary, you know, you look at his peripherals from the last two years, much better than what the perception of him is. And he made some guys miss today in a way, again, that uh, his skill level is very, very high. The question really for both teams in this game, and uh, I mean, they just don't block anybody. Right. And so it's very difficult for the running backs. Now, I moved Harris up late. In my rankings, we took them on one of our teams that we did uh, the show for, and we talked about how Harris was potentially going to be somebody who would catch a lot of passes. We didn't see that today. We didn't see good blocking from them today. We did not see him show that athleticism in terms of running upfield. The question that I've had, you know, all offseason, and you go and you look at his breakaway rush numbers, they're terrible. He's not someone who creates a lot of yardage on his own. And so he's got to be a pass catching running back. Where would you take him right now? Because I wish we didn't have him. But like, what what round? You always have these good good takes on on sort of what round he should go in. I mean, is he a mid third pick if you were if you were drafting today after seeing week one? I mean, the Trent Richardson concerns. He rushed for two point eight yards to carry, and I mean yards per carry doesn't matter. But like, it looked it it looked it, and he got three targets. He caught one pass, and he, he had kind of a bad drop on another one of those targets that he didn't catch. I mean, you. you, you... <laughs> You listen to the training camp reports and you're thinking, okay, he's going to be involved in the passing game. And you're thinking Ben Roethlisberger's arm is shot. He's going to be involved underneath. Well, today was a game where Ben Roethlisberger looked absolutely awful, right? His passes were not, I mean, they were late, inaccurate, soft. It it was really difficult to see how that offense, and this this is another offense where like all of their guys drafted ahead of say Jalen Waddell. And it's, it's, it's going to be impossible was, for those guys to return value because he, he just doesn't have the arm. But also, despite that, Harris was not involved as a receiver. And so, yeah. you know, we mentioned uh, that I thought Ezekiel Elliott was a third, fourth round pick all, all offseason. And then he has the horrible game in week one. I don't even think that's something where it's like that moves him down for me. That's just kind of what I thought was going to happen. Now, I don't think it's going to happen every week. Right. But a third, fourth round pick is still a high pick. That's still picking him ahead of a bunch of players who right. are good. So a third, fourth round pick's not even saying this guy's awful. We 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 drafted once after we did the show last week, and he went at the one-two turn. It's like I don't, I mean, I don't see how you could have week one where you're not going to get points from him and draft him there because he shouldn't have been drafted there to start with. Now Harris, Harris, I still think is like a third round pick, right? I think they're going to have to involve him more, but it's a horrible start. 
right? It's a rough it start bad. for Chase Claypool. I mean, Claypool is going to have offense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Deontay Johnson still gets open so easily. He made the best. The, I, I was kind of cutting you off a minute ago, but the best thing I saw from Roethlisberger, <laughs> I, I didn't write this in my notes, but I made a mental note. There was a couple points where he threw at his arm strength was so terrible, but he basically threw behind defenders who were, you know, sort of face guarding back turn immediately knew that he was going to draw a pass interference. And it was like, he didn't think he could actually make the throw. So he threw it in a place where the receiver would have to come back because the receiver's the only one looking Fender's going to run into him. He's going to get a pass interference. And I was like, well, that was kind of a, you know, one of those savvy veteran things. Like he knows, you know, he, he knows if he kind of puts it on that side of the defender that he's going to get the penalty flag. But like, if that's the best thing you have going for you as a quarterback, because like, I was questioning throughout the whole game, like, why is this guy even playing quarterback anymore in the NFL? Like, it was that bad. Yeah, and you mentioned that as a savvy veteran move. I think that's probably what it was. But you could just as easily say <laughs> yeah. it was a soft, inaccurate pass. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, we're, we're running into some some trouble there. Juju had an okay game. He's the person that we have the most exposure to. I still think that he can have a solid season, but – you know, you probably would go, and, and the reason again to kind of draft him is he's the cheapest of these three guys who have some similarities. But I do think it's going to be tricky for him to pay off as well. Claypool, I mean, he's going to have some games where he makes some splash plays, but that that ADP is already looking like just an unmitigated disaster. So we'll we'll kind of see. I mean, one of the things with Tyler Boyd, who didn't score today, is you can at least look at his teammates and say, well, that's going to shift around some, right? I mean, people are going to have their individual games. With the Steelers, it's hard to see how you could shift the offensive around and have it benefit anybody. I mean, we had Ebron get a target. We had Friar Muth make the really nice play, but that's not going to be fantasy relevant, and uh, it looks bad. So with the running backs, I mean, one of the things that running back is just that you have to understand you're going to score fewer points. And so one of the things that was just so blatantly obvious today, and you think about some of the other high-profile running backs who didn't score, is that, I mean, you have to have wide receivers in the flex but yeah, it is disappointing because it's going to be hard for anybody, I think. I mean, if DeAndre Swift stays healthy, he's going to be a first-round value, which is kind of where we talked about him. The person that I was maybe more concerned with that we also, or more me suggesting that I was hopeful on, was Clyde Edwards-Alaire. They did scheme him a couple passes today. He did show some wiggle today, made some nice runs. But when they scored that many points, and he's still not really involved from a fantasy perspective, and one of the things that really just drives you crazy is that Patrick Mahomes, not someone who should be out there taking hits, and there were multiple times today where he did that because he simply forgot that he could check it down to Edwards Alaire. I mean, he's supposedly the one who like banged the table for this guy so they would draft him ahead of the more talented backs, and he's forgetting that he's on the field. Right. That's that's bizarre. And the other name I thought you were going to say when you were kind of building to the Clyde Edwards-Alaire point was Saquon Barkley, who I'm also a little concerned about. I'm going to give you a little bit of another little bit of a spoiler. Uh, and I apologize, not not from the games, but from our teams, because you said you haven't checked the scores yet. Our two receiver heavy teams that we drafted are doing very well. Our three running back start that we did and did the show on did not start particularly effectively even though deandre swift did well and even though you know taylor had a decent game saquon did not you the the reason i bring that up is you made the point running backs don't score as many points it was so clear today it was so clear that even the running backs that get ma- massive workloads like people are going to be very very excited about the mix and workload it worked out very well for mix and stat line today he got a td he was efficient there's other guys who had massive snap shares this week in the modern nfl the running back can just basically be completely forgotten about in the offense. We saw it with Najee Harris. We saw it with Ezekiel Elliott. We saw it with other guys. 
the receivers, like in one offense, multiple receivers we saw from, from several teams this week can have splash games. The games where you have receiver explosiveness in your flex, there's teams where like we didn't get massive weeks from like DJ Moore, for example, or Stefan Diggs or whoever, but we got it for Debo Samuel. We got it from, you know, whoever, Jamar Chase, you know, these guys that had these big plays, these long touchdowns. You want to have as many of those shots basically in your lineup. You're going to hit somewhere in, in a given week. There's just not a lot of games anymore in the NFL where a running back just dominates all the production for his offense. I mean, I, it just seems so obvious. You sit there and watch it all, all day today, and you're like, DeAndre Swift had a ma- massive game, or this team did well, all these running backs did well. You go look at your score, and you're like, this running back heavy build, not very good. The receivers are the ones driving the points. I mean, and even when I saw teams in some of our leagues that had good scores that were running back heavy, it's because the receivers are driving their points later. They had Corey Davis. They had, you know what I mean? Like, okay, well, congrats for drafting Corey Davis, but recognize that the reason that you're winning is not because you went running back heavy you're getting the receiver points. And that's, I mean, I felt like this week was such a, a validation of that. I mean, the, I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at all the scoring or anything, but the, I, I got to imagine the the top scores across the board were receivers, but not just that, but like not, not the individual top scores necessarily. I just mean like that there were more of a certain amount of score probably at receiver, but not just that is the point that we sit and talk about snapshots from running backs. We talk about workload and volume and stuff. Look at the running backs who got massive snap shares, were very, very involved, and got scripted completely out of their offense, basically, or just weren't good enough to be a part of their offense. I mean, you just talked about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He did not look like he was relevant to what the Kansas City Chiefs are trying to do offensively. That matters to what we're doing in fantasy football. We can get as nitty-gritty as we want with the snap shares and how valuable running backs are and all this. It's kind of BS. Like, the football stuff matters. Like, Clyde Edwards-Alaire does not really influence what the Chiefs are going to do offensively, and that means that he's going to have games like this where even when he shows a little bit, he's not going to be very good. He's going to probably have some good games as well, but, man, I mean, it seemed very obvious to me today that you want to be on the passing games, not just in 2021, 2022, 2023. I'm talking about, like, this. that's where the NFL is going. This is a passing league. Yeah, and it's not that running backs can't – score points either because Nick Chubb scored a lot of points look very, very good. I think it goes back to this idea of talent, right? Because these guys are going to find a way to score the points, even if sometimes the role isn't there. Kareem Hunt wasn't that relevant, but then did score some points. You're going to get some points. And that's one of the reasons why you have to have exposure to some backs somewhere. You know, people give us a hard time for like no teams are a zero running back. I mean, two running backs are required to start at almost every league. So you're playing some guys. But it was interesting. We drafted it in a league after the Thursday night game, and the participant who had the 101 was able to start McCaffrey, Barkley, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And you think, you know, how does Barkley drop to the 212 when he should be a top six or seven pick based on this idea that if you're going to have exposure to running backs, anytime before the seventh or eighth round, you want it to be the guys with the best profiles who were absolute stars. How does he fall? Well, because of the injury types of things. And then you have this report, you know, basically right before the game that he's not going to be that involved at all today. And so you're thinking, you know, is he even benchable? But the, the funny thing is that, that this Christian McCaffrey start could be really destroyed by having Saquon Barkley and Clyde Edwards-Alaire on that team when, you know, it's this idea that people have, okay, well, that gives us multiple chances to have, the high scoring back, but as 
you know, we've talked about with the running back dead zone with zero RB as Pat has illustrated so wonderfully recently, it just gives you more downside, right? And, and go, to go back to, to Barkley too, I think that Barkley is interesting kind of going forward. We have him on a number of teams because of where we drafted, because of what his profile was. There was the report today that they're going to be very careful with him. Then this sort of manifested itself in a weird way that was a little bit unfortunate where they said that he's not going to play that much. They're going to protect him. He played almost the entire game, right? He was used in the passing game a little bit, which he's, he's got to be if he's going to have anything close to a first round value. But the Giants made a smart choice that was sort of devastating for those of us who have him on some teams where when they got deep into garbage time, they benched him because they can't win the game. And then the Giants actually gain you know, a bunch more points and yards at that juncture. And so my concern with Barkley is not that he's not going to play, not that he's not going to be healthy. He looked fine today. He didn't look unbelievably explosive, but he was able to make some cuts. He was able to make some an impressive one-handed grab as a receiver played most of the game. The Giants are terrible. Daniel Jones looked awful. We talked about some of these coaching things. Uh, they challenged a confirmed touchdown just because they didn't like the fact that they'd been scored on. I mean, it's one thing to like... <laughs> it was hilarious. Joe just so, threw a challenge, like, and the announcers are, standing, are, are sitting there going, you can't challenge this. It was a scored play. They went back and showed the replay. They go, yeah, it, it was very clearly a TD. What's he doing? They got charged a timeout for throwing the challenge flag on a play you can't challenge. That's, so that's Joe Judge right there. Hey, we, you know what? He made his point. He made his point, Sean. <laughs> well, I mean, how are the the people that you're leading supposed to take it when you're out there in a game? There, you know, you got to practice all week. There aren't that many games. You know, it's an NFL season. You don't. It's not like football. I mean, it's not like basketball. It's not like baseball. You play every. I mean, you're just throwing a temper tantrum in the middle of this game, right? And so if you have a poor head coach, if you have an overmatched QB, I like Daniel Jones. He's competing really hard. He ran a bunch today, uh, had another unfortunate fumble. Didn't look very good, right? But this team could, could get a lot of value for Sterling Shepard, who got open very easily. Could at some point start to create value for Kenny Galladay, who was just kind of coming back, but made some highlight reel catches. This is a garbage team right? A garbage time team. And if Saquon Barkley is not going to play when they're out of it at the end, that's going to be a huge dagger because that's going to be when a lot of their fantasy points are scored. Yeah, I, I'm concerned about his workload. I, I'm curious how it will progress. You know, you look at McCaffrey and obviously different injury situations and everything, but didn't play in the preseason and they just kind of turned him loose. Barkley didn't play in the preseason. A lot of Obviously, media media reports on his rehab all offseason. Was this just like them treating it like his his preseason? Is it going to be this for a couple of weeks, and then eventually they're going to turn him loose and and also play him at garbage time, or are they going to like treat this whole season like he's in bubble wrap? That that seems like it's unlikely, right? Well, again, I think they're he's going to play almost the entire game when they're competitive. <laughs> the problem for me is they look bad. I mean, they're one yeah. of the three or four teams that looks like it's you know, on the path to getting a potential number one overall pick. And, you know, we look at all of these routes that McCaffrey was running and Barkley got some routes across the line of scrimmage today too. One of them was actually an end zone target where Daniel Jones tried to throw it through two defenders who were standing pretty clearly right in front of him. And so, you know, that wasn't going to work out, 
But so there, there's some value into some of these targets, but Daniel Jones doesn't throw those passes very well. And so, yeah, I mean, there, there are some concerns about what Barkley is going to be able to do within this context. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, one of the things that I think I, I mean, I already make a huge point of, and we talk about a lot when we draft, but I want to make an even bigger point of going forward. We talked about the haves and have nots this year. It's just like, really emphasizing which offenses. And we, we talked about with Atlanta and, and Detroit earlier in this show that, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, but the concern with Barkley was the offense, I think. That's proving to be true. And 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 sort of the point I was going to make is building a team around offenses that you feel very comfortable with, you know, as, as much as you possibly can. Obviously, they are pricier. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs guys are pricier for a reason. It's uh, you know, it's not like that easy. It's and this is like not a novel concept. People have talked about this since fantasy football first started. You know, like picking players on good teams, but it is uh, you know, it is an interesting point when we talk about how this. I thought the haves and have-nots thing was very on display today, and maybe it was just a one-week thing, and we'll see it sort of ebb and flow throughout the season. That's what I expect from most things. But you know, you make those points about the Giants. We talk about you know the Falcons, some of these other teams that really looked like they were struggling in a way that could really limit the production for the key players that we care about. It's like, man, compare that to some of these other teams where you talk about like Tyler Boyd. It's like, well, I'm actually expecting positive stuff from the Bengals. I'm right with you and everything you're saying about Boyd. He's going to have his days. They're, they're going to be productive. I think they're going to throw more going forward. You know, the, the Cowboys and Bucks back on Thursday night football. Like, yeah, I want everything in those offenses. I want the ancillary pieces in those offenses. I want the no names in those offenses <laughs> just stashed somewhere because those offenses look like team offenses that I want parts of, you know what I mean? So would the new England Patriots qualify at all with that? One of the things interesting today, they lose because they have a couple of somewhat unlucky fumbles, but Mac Jones looked fantastic by contrast Tua looked bad, right? And so you, you think about what happened at the end of that game. The turnover that Tua threw was a terrible pass, a terrible decision. I mean, the decision was bad, and then the lack of arm strength is glaring. The Patriots are going down to win the game, and Damian Harris fumbles. This offense, though, was kind of interesting because it was very spread out. And I think that even though Mac Jones looked good, and it was very clear why they would have cut Cam Newton, you had Kendrick Bourne was involved. Nelson Aguilar was a little bit more involved, I think, than people were, certainly than Jacoby Myers' managers were hoping. Uh, Myers was obviously involved and looked pretty good. Both of the tight ends were catching some passes. And then at running back, not surprisingly, Damian Harris, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, not as involved after his fumble. Uh, James White in there, like we would expect. Harris was pretty impressive. Uh, had a couple of receptions. He had a TD called back. He did have that late fumble. This offense, it, enough pace, enough total plays, enough big plays to be relevant for fantasy if all of those guys are involved in it. It's tough with the the, the sheer volume, but I, I was impressed by Harris. Felt a little bit today while watching them that, you know, I I, I don't really have any of him, which wasn't necessarily like a, a clear decision, just some concern with the pass catching and, his price got up into the range, you know, just before we get into our sort of zero RB targets where we're still drafting the Debo Samuels. So I didn't, I didn't take a lot of them, but 
Um, I, I may not have thickened any. I have no idea. I can't remember all the drafts I did at this moment. But um, if I took him, it was maybe in one or two one-off teams. But I remember watching and being like, yeah, I probably should have paid a little more attention to Josh Norris, I know. Uh, was was very excited about Damian Harris this offseason and 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 the you know the the Darius Damian Harris stands out there were definitely vindicated today. He looked fantastic running the ball. Yeah, I, I mean I hadn't thought about that a ton. Whether this would be like a really positive offense, I do think it's definitely going to be better than last year. I mean that was the, the sort of the benchmark I was putting on them coming into the season and in the offseason that their their pass volume was so low last year, second lowest in the league. Uh, only the Ravens threw fewer passes overall. They were a lock to add passes, even if Newton was on the team. And as soon as Newton got cut, it was very clear that this team was going to pass more. There was this possibility they'd play a little bit more up-tempo like they used to with Brady, a little bit of a different type of offense. Not so, you know, definitely still run-focused, but not so, you know, completely run-based with as they were with Newton at quarterback. So we saw some of that today. I, I, I see where you're, where you're going with that. I don't know if I'm – Totally diving in the the Aguilar stuff. I I was a little bit excited about Myers. I thought he looked good, but I think every time I brought him up to you, you kind of mentioned, "Well, is what's up with Nelson Aguilar?" Because <laughs> you've always been kind of an Aguilar guy, and he looked very good. and And I thought about him a couple of times. I thought about that a couple of times today. I was like, "Yeah, that's that's why Sean didn't ever want to take Jacoby Myers when he got a little bit pricey because Aguilar's pretty darn good too." And they they kind of look like they're going to be the two guys. And you're right, Borden was involved too, and the tight ends were involved, and it's tricky. I mean, if you can get Aguilar off waivers, I think that's fine. You know, I think grabbing him and he he very well might have value at times. Well, we also saw some pretty decent numbers today from some of the guys who don't get open, but you just have to throw it up to them. Mike Williams is a solid game. I haven't seen that one yet, so we won't go into that one too much. Uh, Devontae Parker kind of holding down the fort for Will Fuller made some nice plays. So I'm thinking if, if those guys can do it, I mean, Nikhil Harry, when he comes back and you have Mac Jones, right? I mean, never, never too early to start <laughs> stashing. <laughs> then just a couple of, of last notes for you. Uh, again, I jotted down all of these uh, coaching decisions that really sort of rubbed me the wrong way. We do love the Panthers. We want them to be good. They punted from the Jets 33 today and gained 18 yards from it. And Matt Rule looked very disgusted afterwards. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, what were you expecting to happen when you punted from the 33? The other kind of interesting thing, Devontae Smith looked fantastic. Quez Watkins, three receptions immediately to start the game, disappears. Rager, the garbage touchdown. We have a lot of Rager. He wasn't that involved, but when he caught that ball late, it was his mission to get in. I mean, it, the Falcons guys looked like they had quit trying, right? I mean, there were lots of guys between him and the end zone when he caught that pass and he was untouched with no one close to him because he was operating at a different speed. Any enthusiasm about the garbage touchdown there? I mean, it's going to be split and, and Devonte Smith is going to be the star. It looks like he's, he could be quite good. Although, you know, every game isn't going to be just like that one for him within the context of this offense that is going to use quite a few guys. Goddard scores a touchdown. Zach Ertz had a few targets. Uh, but Rager, midway through the game, I'm thinking he's someone we drop to pick up other guys this week, you know, make a big bid on someone like Elijah Mitchell. But then as the game progressed, he seems like someone to hold for another week or two. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely excited about that play. I 
it's tough with bubble screens because you're like, okay, was it, you know, the player, was it just well blocked? Was it poor defense to your point that they just kind of weren't in that area? I mean, it's kind of a combination of all three things. Certainly Devonta Smith's touchdown earlier was a lot more impressive for the player's perspective, his role, all of those things. They they ran him out of the slot. They had Zach Ertz split out outside of him, and they kind of cut him around to the outside with Ertz coming across. And he was the first read on the play. Hertz, you know, immediately looked his way through a little bit of a, you know, kind of a wheel route, kind of a fade into the the you know front of the end zone. And it's very clear that they're like, we're going to run this play for Devonta Smith. And Devonta Smith makes the play, scores a touchdown. That to me is like, you know, very positive sign for Devonta Smith. The Rager one, you know, kind of shrugging my shoulders at it. But I, I'm certainly comfortable holding him. He gets six targets. He catches all of them, scores a touchdown. He wasn't super involved, but he also wasn't bad by any means. And the production was there. So worth seeing if he can build off it, I think. I agree. I agree. And uh, the speed on that play was the reason that they drafted him in the first round and the reason that he had some of the good numbers coming in. So we're, we're going to get some highlights from some of those guys. It looks right now, right, like Hurts uh, would have been – another one of those late round uh, QBs because he, he started really falling. I mean, the Gardner Minshew trade, uh, a lot of things that didn't make a difference knocked his ADP. He was never really in the range still where we were looking at him, but uh, the Eagles fantastic today. You have any more deep notes that we want to leave the listeners with so they can uh, make some, some early bids before the rest of their league mates catch on. <laughs> I don't know that we, we've done a lot. We, we've covered a lot, a lot of really interesting conversation. This is a really fun first uh, Sunday night recap episode. We'll do these every week. We're also going to be back Wednesday and Friday, right? So we'll have this one will post Monday morning. You're probably listening to this on Monday. You know, I'll have my, my recap articles, stealing signals out uh, on my newsletter on Monday and Tuesday. Sean will have his written stuff out. Then we'll reconvene for, and Sean, please, I don't know your exact schedule. You're doing the, the running back, the zero RB report again? Yeah, we'll have uh, – have to look and, and see if if there are other articles, other columns called this, but perhaps a, a bulletin board material piece tomorrow focusing on some of the notes uh, that we've talked about today. We'll have the zero RB watch and trying to figure out you know who, who we want to play. Samaj P. Ryan didn't factor into the box score that much, but he was out there on the field right from the beginning today. He's a – an interesting handcuff, clearly the handcuff there in Cincinnati, as we mentioned, uh, Patterson out there immediately for the Falcons and would be in line for a massive and even somewhat interesting, even with how bad the Falcons were today, interesting workload if Davis were to go down the 49ers backs, a big headlining story there. But yeah, we'll have lots of, of great content up for you on Rotoviz over the next couple of days. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then we're going to reconvene Wednesday and sort of compare notes. And then also um, plan to have a guest typically for our Friday shows. I don't know that we have one lined up here for week one. So we'll see how that comes together. You know, we were still drafting as of Saturday, <laughs> you know, these this past week. So we'll figure some of this out as we go. But Monday, Wednesday, Friday is sort of going to be the plan during the season. Monday morning will be the Sunday night recap. Wednesday will be our reconvene after we've both gotten our chance to dive into all the numbers and really come up with some takes. And I think that'll be a really fun show every week. And then Friday will be a little bit of a look ahead. So it should be a 
fun schedule for you guys to look forward to. And yeah, this is a little longer than we'll typically do on Sunday nights. We, we've been talking, we're going to try to make these in season article, uh, excuse me, podcasts a little bit more concise, but man, what a fun week one fun first day. Got a lot wrong, got some things right. It's always just so fun when football comes back, you know, for, for one, it's just massively humbling. It's like, yeah, there's, there's so much we don't know. And that's what we always talk about. That's why we always try to draft in this, you know, sort of humility based uh, mindset and, and understanding that, you know, we're going to have contingency plans and we're going to be aware of the fact that there's a wide range of potential outcomes. We're expecting to miss things. You know, no one's, no one's here talking about us being perfect. And then we're going to react and we're going to tr- hopefully make smart decisions at that point that are looking forward the right way, because some reactions are, you know, they're that, that's why we, why in my article, I look at the signal and the noise. They're just looking at the, the fantasy points or the sort of the, the, the catchy plays or the catchy moments from the week, as opposed to, you know, what those things might indicate about what could happen for the rest of the season because there's still going to be more chaos thrown in again, right? So we have to recalibrate and say, well, who can emerge now? Well, what can happen now that these other things have changed? And so we'll be doing that every week. It's going to be a blast, you know, talking through it all season with you. It is. It is. And like you said, mostly these will be 30, 35 minute shows. If you don't want to spend this much time with us on Mondays, don't worry. You won't have to. It's not going to be like this, but we got on today. (laughs) Uh, We just said, you know, look, it was too much fun. We're going to, we're going to talk and, and see where we go. So, and, and like Ben said, the next two shows should be a lot of fun as well. We, we don't have the specific guest for this week. We've got a lot of names that we're going to have on over the 17, 18 weeks who you'll really enjoy. And they'll give you a look ahead for Friday. So stay with us for those. That'll do it for our first Sunday recap episode of stealing bananas. I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at yards per Gretchen. I don't know what the very final number was, but uh, just if you're still considering whether or not to sign up for stealing signals, know that Ben set you up with the Carolina Panthers who did score a lot of defensive points today (laughs) against the New York Jets. So every little thing covered in that article We'd love to have you at Rotoviz. You can get a 10% discount using the code RVRADIO2021. Uh, please subscribe to our feed. If you haven't, you'll be able to get some of these shows a little bit earlier than they debut on the main feed. Uh, leave us a rating and review. You guys have done a fantastic job with that. We love the feedback. We love the community. We can't wait till we talk with you again. It'll be a couple days. We'll see you then.